Two Kids and a Career is a production of Jill Divine Media. What if we did agree to this? What if we said, we'll do this together? We're partners. We're going to, we are going to go down to that earth and go through this thing. And it's not going to be easy, but we're going to help tens of thousands of people. And we're going to pull together volunteers and friends and family. And Oaks is just the beginning. He's the ripple. He's the little baby acorn. And Mighty Oaks Heart Foundation is going to be this gigantic oak tree that is going to shelter others. And I don't know. I don't know. Evoke Creative is a proud sponsor of Two Kids and a Career. They help small business owners like me brand with purpose and market with intent. The ladies at Evoke Creative will help make your digital presence known. Learn more at evokecco.com. That's evokecco.com. Hi there, and welcome to Two Kids in a Career. I'm Jill Devine. As an entrepreneur, wife, and mama, the daily grind of trying to build a business while taking care of kids and trying to maintain a healthy connection with my hubby, it's a lot. With this podcast, you're going to hear candid conversations with other moms, parenting experts who can share their knowledge and insight, or you'll just hear me rambling to get it all out. There's going to be tears, there's going to be laughter, but most Most importantly, there will be support. Take a listen and connect with me so we can grow and learn from one another. This is Two Kids and a Career. There's been this really cool thing that has happened in the podcast if this is your first time tuning in, and it is all about supporting one another and having this community. And so things have definitely shifted from season one to where we are now in season six. And it's been a good shift, but now I'm starting to see some past guests be like, okay, I need to introduce you to this person because this person has a story. And I think that that's just so awesome. So that's really how this episode is starting. So I would like to rewind back to all the way episode 22 and the title of that episode, this mom, along with so many other moms, needs to cut herself some slack. And my guest on that podcast, Arlene Brown. Now, she is friends with another guest that was on the podcast, Rachel Sauter. She was the guest in season one, episode eight. And that's probably the first combination of, hey, I was on your podcast, this person should be on your podcast, and then it just kind of started trickling. So with that long-winded explanation, Arlene is amazing. She is a super supportive woman who is a champion for other women and other organizations and just good people, and that leads me to this week's guest. Becky, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I am really eager to learn more. What I should mention is, and I don't know how you, what this feels like for you when you hear something like this, but you are one of the owners of Olive and Oak. And for the St. Louis area, that is a restaurant. Is that in the Webster Groves area? It is. It is. Okay. Webster Groves. Yeah. So I see a lot of mutual friends on social media talking about Olive and Oak. I can honestly tell you, I have not been. I have it on my list of restaurants to try and had it on my list. And then the pandemic hit and then all that crazy stuff. But Every person that I have talked to who's been there, they're like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. It's so amazing. But 
what is amazing is how this all developed. And I, a lot of people don't even know the significance of olive and oak in the name. So yeah, I would love to just dive on in and let's go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, first I have to, we've got to get a reservation on the books for you because it is, it's a, just a special place um, in many regards. I mean, it just, when you walk in, it's just got such a good feel and vibe. The, um, our staff is just incredible. And, and really, I think the magic, so much of the magic comes from the back of the house. It's our, it's our head chef, Jesse. It's her incredible team um, that works the line with her, just cranking out the most amazing food just night after night. So yeah, we got to get you in there. Um, I'm in. So yes. don't you worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really, it's, it's, um, it's an, a, it's a great restaurant. Um, like I said, it's been quite a journey, um, you know, just from conception to getting the doors open. Um, and like you mentioned, um, the name, it, it's, um, it's the, the condensed story is that, um, my husband and I, Greg, we have, um, our first child was a very healthy daughter. She's now 12, Isla. Um, she's just an amazing kid. And then when she was two, we had a son named Oaks who was born with a congenital heart defect. And um, I tell people, Isla introduced us to parenthood. Oaks introduced us to congenital heart defects. And Oaks lived for about a year and a half. Um, and um, we ultimately... Uh, we we lost him to his fight against um, congenital heart defects. Um, about two years after he passed away, we had another daughter named Esme, who's now seven. And she's just, just um, sort of one of those kids who's a little bonkers and brings so much joy and life into our house. Um, but Olive and Oak, um, the oak in the name is a tribute to our son, Oaks. Um, and when he had passed, um, it was probably about a year after he passed, I met um, Jen Hinkle at um, the Magic House. We were both there. She had a daughter the same age as Isla. We met outside, um, you know, in the Magic House for people who aren't in St. Louis is um, kind of a, a enormous not a museum, but I don't know how you'd describe it. It's like a big place to go play and lots yeah. of hands-on creative activities, some science, some history. I mean, just like magic. It is magical. So we were at the Magic House. I was wearing a t-shirt with um, a logo from Mighty Oaks Heart Foundation, which was a foundation we started when Oaks was in the hospital. Um, just giving back to the heart community, giving back to families so similar to ours who had kids who were hospitalized and really struggling. And anyway, Jen walked up to me and said, tell me about this organization. I keep hearing about it. And we ended up sitting down on a bench. Our girls were playing together and um, we created this friendship. And, and a really important piece of this story is Jen had also lost a son. Her son, Oliver, had passed about six months prior to our meeting. So here we were, these moms that are just thick in grief, and we're outside of the house trying to entertain our beautiful girls. Um, and we were just, it was one of those, like, it was light conversation for a second. And then it was just like 
the brutal truth came just out. But we were so connected and so bonded. And fast forward, Jen's husband was managing a really great restaurant here in town. Um, and we had a fundraiser for Mighty Oaks Heart Foundation. We invited the Hinkles. They sat down at our table. And as our husbands were meeting, um, my husband, Greg, who's very much an entrepreneur and has started and sold companies um, in the telecom world, um, he casually said to Mark, oh my gosh, I've always wanted to own my own restaurant. I don't know the restaurant industry, but I know the business side. Um, and Mark, you know, they're like, you know, cheersing their wine glasses and Mark's like, well, I same, like I want my own restaurant. I, I know everything about restaurants. Um, and within a couple days, those two met up at a bar and started putting together a business plan to open what is now Olive and Oak. And, um, and I'll be honest, Jill, I mean, I was like, there's no way we're opening a restaurant. This is when, when, in what spare time are we doing this? You know, we're busy parents. And um, now, you know, fast forward, Mighty Oaks Heart Foundation has been around for 10 years. I'm the executive director. I've got a team of people that I lead. And we have a, a lot of, we, I, I'm busy. I'm so busy. So um, anyway, Alvin Oak opened Within a year, we also opened Clover and the Bee, which is right next door, which is a casual dining, um, coffee in the morning, dinner at night. Um, during the pandemic, we moved Olive and Oak down the street. We did. We bought a building, 20,000 square feet, um, renovated it, built it. it. Construction ended during the pandemic. So we moved Olive and Oak down the street. Um, we also partnered with Perennial Brewery here in St. Louis. We opened a brew house with them in that same building. We opened an event space. Um, so, this, wow! Yes, this little <laughs> this little casual conversation about oh, I'd love to have a restaurant is now five businesses under one umbrella. Um, and Greg still has his day job um, in the telecom world, and I'm still um, running. Uh, Mighty Oaks Heart Foundation, while you'll appreciate raising two beautiful kids. Um, so yeah, life is busy, but the restaurant is, I mean, it's just, it has just taken off. I mean, it's just kind of a life of its own. I mean, it's just moving, it's just forging ahead, which is exciting. Uh, so many things, so yes. many things that I need to say, like so many. <laughs> First of all, I love your children's names. Thank you. Second of all, what I had referred to at the beginning of this episode about whenever somebody tells me they visit the restaurant or, well, this was not you telling me this, this person that I work with was telling me about perennial is mm -hmm. that's the name of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he was like, that is amazing. Right. And so then you look at this, like you said, you are hitting all kinds of different demographics yeah. with just this one concept, yes. which I think is so cool. So then it's like, he was telling me about that. And I was introducing them to the fact that, Hey, you really should know the story behind Olive and Oak. And I am interviewing one of the owners. And so it was just, when you were talking, it was like, Oh my gosh, we, you guys are hitting all these people mm -hmm. that don't even realize. And then the other thing I was thinking of was like, Thank you, God, for letting them choose to go to the Magic House on the same day. Like, I you know. guys did not know each other. I know. No. And I, I mean, 
there's probably we we may have crossed paths. The Hinkles were really involved in another organization in town that a national organization that helps families with heart. I mean, we might have we probably would have crossed paths at some point, but no, you're right. right. I mean, it was it was very serendipitous um, that we were not only at the magic house, but, you know, standing outside in that little playground, uh, you know, it, yeah, it was very serendipitous. And, and I have heard of them mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. their name. And, mm-hmm. and so that, yes, like, but wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 So when did Oliver, how old was Oliver when he passed? Um, I believe he had just turned one. Um, I, he was, a, he was also a baby. He was, okay. Oak, Oaks was about 15 months when he passed. I believe Oliver had just celebrated his first birthday when he passed. Um, so they were both, yeah, infants. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Um, I have recently spoke with an individual and you may know her, um, Jenny Jesse. Yeah. And yeah. we talked about, the June Jesse Memorial mm-hmm. Foundation. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she told me, and and this is what's just, oh, but like she had a healthy pregnancy. Yeah. There were no signs. Uh-huh. And we talked about that in that episode. Like being pregnant in itself is terrifying. Yeah. Um, especially when and I've joked around about this a lot on the podcast, when you're advanced maternal age, you know, right, like the, right, right. <laughs> the risks go up and then you're just like, ah, and, and you want to enjoy the pregnancy and it's just hard. And so then when you think everything is okay and then all of a sudden it's not okay, it's not, I, I, I just, that was very, very difficult to hear her explain that. So that's my question to you. When you were pregnant, with Oaks, mm-hmm. was there any indication? Um, well, from the outside, no. Um, just by looking at me, wouldn't know. And there was no family history of heart defects. There was no markers or indicators, you know, just from myself or Greg. Um, but when we went in for that 20 week anatomy ultrasound, where mm. traditionally, and I think it's different. Now, I think families can find out gender really early. Yeah. But 10 years ago, it was, you know, you went in for this big 20-week anatomy ultrasound where they would look at the baby's brain and the heart and the lungs, and they'd measure the the femur, and they'd look at the spine, and they'd really look at all the major organs just, and they'd take measurements. And when they were looking at the heart, they would look to see, are there four chambers of the heart? Is it pumping blood? And, you know, as with... I always compare this with my healthy pregnancy with Isla. I don't even remember the details of that. I just went in wanting to know the gender. Right. And just assuming naively, of course, my baby is healthy. And um, there would be no reason for me to have been fearful that something was wrong. Now with Oaks, when we went in, the woman who was doing the ultrasound was so um, wonderful and experienced and um she just handled the whole thing with such grace and um uh, wisdom i think um she 
saw something in the heart that was not normal. And she just kept doing, looking at other organs and then would go back to the heart and say, well, he's, he's not cooperating. He's moving. He's whatever. I'm going to go back to the heart. And at some point, Greg was like, no, really what's going on. And I was oblivious. I was in la la land. I was thinking, yes, we're going to have a son. This is so exciting. This is what I came here for. Um, and we had just, I mean, total rookies. We brought Isla with us to this ultrasound thinking, you know, she's too, not like she would know or mean much to her, but we thought it would be so special to have her in the room with us when we found out, are you having a sister or brother? So, you know, I'm kind of like wrangling her and keeping an eye on her and Greg tuned into like, what is going on with this, our son's heart? Um, so it was that day that we found out that, um, something was significantly wrong in the development of Oak's heart. And um, it was, I will say that was crushing. And I think in hindsight, um, of course we grieved when he passed away, but I really think the grief started then um, because I think it was, it was the sobering moment of knowing something was wrong. And it was as a mom, as a parent, it was, it was pivotal because Greg and I at, in that moment, that day, were sort of readjusting our expectations, our, our reality of what his birth and life would be like. Um, and it was, you know, in a much bigger way, it was sort of adjusting the dreams that we had for him. And I think, you know, as a pregnant mom, you do sort of curl up and, you know, with your spouse dream and create these hopes for what your child will be and what they'll do and the person that they'll become. And you just, you know, you pour your love into that unborn baby. At least I did with Isla. And I think a lot of people do. Um, And so I think with Oaks that day, we started like, okay, so maybe he won't play baseball in college like his dad did. And okay, so maybe he won't um, be able to participate in PE class or go to summer camp or, you know, like what you just start, I don't know, going through all your hopes and dreams and like, oh, maybe that won't happen. And so in a way, I think it was also, like I said, we kind of started grieving then. Like, okay, this isn't what it, we thought it would be. Um, and so the the second half of my pregnancy with Oaks, we were referred to a high-risk a practice that um, really followed Oaks and was looking really closely at his heart. And this um, maternal group was um, associated with St. Louis Children's Hospital, um, and they were looking at me very closely, and I was going in just almost weekly to have um, ultrasounds to look at Oaks and look at his heart and monitor his growth and make sure there weren't other issues that we should be watching. I didn't have any history of anything that would make me think we were at risk for a a child that would be really, really sick. And, and what we learned after the fact is that, um, congenital heart defects, um, there can be a genetic component, but it does not discriminate. It is, it is, there is no known cause. There is no known source 
um, for who is born with a congenital heart defect. It, it touches families of all races, of all socioeconomic groups. Um, it, it does not discriminate. And it is just a, um, it's one in 100 children are born with a congenital heart defect, which is wow. a staggering number. Um, and we just, you know, in so many ways, you know, Sometimes we deal with grief and heartache with humor, but we, from the beginning, we're like, okay, we hit the jackpot with this kid. He's our one in 100. And later, once he was born, we learned he had multiple birth defects. And so really, truly, he was like one in a million. Once we, once we learned about his anatomy and um, some of the other defects he was born with, he was just, he was just a little jackpot. I mean, it, it jokingly, but also, um, you know, I also from the beginning as his mom, and I think you can relate just being a mom, you look at your itty bitty babies and you're like, Oh my God, this kid is perfect. And I'm just going to pour my heart and soul into this little human. And that was definitely the case with Oaks, despite all of his medical issues. When he was born from the outside, he looked perfect. He went to the NICU and he was the biggest, fattest, most pink baby in there. Um, and so from day one, he was, yes, he had all of these special needs, but he, in our eyes, he was perfect. Do you get, uh, obviously consultation, but are you given the facts when you're in that situation? Like, okay, here's what we're seeing. Yeah. Here's. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. We, so when we, when we discovered that anatomy ultrasound heart defect, um, our, my OB made an appointment the very next day at St. Louis Children's. And so within 24 hours, we were, um, at Children's Hospital and we were getting a fetal echocardiogram. So it was an ultrasound of, Oak's heart. And so they were really able to zoom in and look at that heart. So probably with le- within less than an hour, he had been diagnosed with truncus arteriosus was his heart defect. Um, and as soon as that ultrasound ended, we were sitting in a little consultation room with Dr. Caroline Lee, who is now a dear, dear friend. She sits on our board. She's a tremendous cardiologist at Children's and she just um, was one of our biggest cheerleaders and held our hand through Oak's life. Um, But she sat down with us and was like, okay, this is a diagram of a healthy heart. This is what Oak's heart looks like. These are all the facts, all the statistics. This is what you need to know. Um, Then we were given, within days, we were back at the hospital and we were given um, a tour of the cardiac intensive care unit. So we could just visualize and wrap our brains around like, this is what the unit looks like. These are the machines. These are the sounds. This is the setting. We're going to, because we knew we would be there for quite some time as Oaks recovered. Oaks would, we knew he would need surgery within days of being born. And so it was um, a gift to have that tour and to meet people. We were able to talk to the surgeon ahead of time. Um, So we were really able to do this deep dive into the world of congenital heart defects and truncus arteriosus and um, which, you know, I think would be, in hindsight, I think it was a blessing that we could um, kind of dig into it then. Um, And I've talked to a lot of moms 
it's, it's a topic that comes up with heart moms all the time of like, when did you find out? And I think, you know, there are some pros to finding out early and there are some cons. And I think, you know, part of maybe the conversation, um, I should sit down and talk to Jenny, Jesse and talk about this, but, um, there's also, like you said, I mean, I think with any pregnancy, there's a lot of fear and concern and worry. And for myself, there was just a lot of, there was extra fear and extra anxiety. And I remember vividly, you know, running into friends out running errands and there were, you know, commenting, when do you do? And, and are you having a girl or a boy? And I just remember welling up with tears and like, Oh my God, confiding in a friend in the middle of the Galleria, like he's going to be really sick and I'm really scared. And so that it was hard. It was, I mean, it was just a hard, it was a lot to manage mentally and, and try to stay balanced on like the joy. And you're re- raising a daughter too. Yeah. I mean, I, I think early in that pregnancy, I remember talking to my sister who has several children. And um, I remember talking to her about like, oh my God, how am I going to do bath time when Greg's out of town? Because I'll be outnumbered. Like bathing a two-year-old was a lot of work, but I was, my fears were really like, ah, and then I'm going to have this like slippery little infant in the tub. Like, how do I do that? You know? And so really quickly, those fears were like, oh my gosh, I'll figure out the bath time thing. How am I going to do a hospital? And how am I going to go back and forth? And who's going to take care of Isla when we're in the hospital? And what about surgery? I mean, just like the list went on and on of all the things that we could freak out about and and really... I mean, legitimate fears, but it was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot to to manage. Leading up to Oaks' passing, did you know that it would be that soon? Yes and no. I think, um, so Oaks would be 10. He lived a year and a half. So he, this was all, I mean, he passed eight and a half years ago or so. And, you know, there's been a lot of grief and healing in these last eight and a half years. And, and I have, I, I mean, I think about him on the daily and the organization, which I said, we're, you know, this is my full-time job. There's just nonstop reflection. And um, when he was alive, I think I really lived in this place of, um, I don't know if it was straight up denial I, I, I think it was more, I just didn't want to accept that he could or would pass away. I was just laser focused on we're going to beat the odds. We're going to give him every chance. We're going to do all the things. Not my kid. No, 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 no. Not my kid. He's going to be fine. He's coming home. He's he's going to play baseball. He's got a big life to live. I have these dreams and this hope for him and we're going home. And I just like stubbornly focused on that. Of course there were, um, really hard conversations. There were maybe three instances in his year and a half where a physician came to me and said, he's really sick. He's not doing well. He might not make it through the night. So there were these really realistic, sobering, fearful, um, 
you know, moments and conversations. And, and, and I did let myself go to like, what will we do? And what will this be like? And, and I think when, when he was four months old, he ended up, um, he had multiple surgeries, but at four months, um, he, he wasn't recovering from a surgery quickly. And there were some signs that he was really, really struggling. And um, it was determined that he had pulmonary vein stenosis. So the veins going from his lungs to his heart um, were becoming brittle and stenosed and they were shrinking. And there is no surgery to repair pulmonary veins that are stenosing. There is no cure. There, <clears throat> excuse me. There's no treatment. The only option, well, we had two options. We could put him in hospice care and bring him home and just, you know, have him with us as long as he would live, or we could list him for a, a double lung transplant. And so he would um, get new pulmonary veins as along with new lungs. And, um, Lung transplants in adults are really risky with not great results. And in children and pediatrics, um, it's even more risky, more complicated with um, just really hard statistics and um, as far as survival. And so I think when he had that transplant, we were told, you know, this is yes, you're going to get new lungs, you'll get these new pulmonary veins that are beautiful and healthy, and they're going to help move blood through his body. But you're sort of trading one, one illness for the next because the lung transplant is so risky. Um, and he's always going to be on anti-rejection meds. And there are all sorts of side effects that come from this. And so I, I at, at four months, I think Greg and I knew like, okay, this is at now we're moving into this next level of, um, of risk, of complication, of just medical fragility. Um, and so even though I was focused and determined and so full of hope that like we're going to beat the odds, yes, we were thinking about the possibility of losing him. And when we got to that place, um, when he was around a year and a half, he had been having fevers. He was struggling to breathe. His lungs were collapsing. His kidneys were shutting down. I mean, there were just all of these signs that he was struggling. And there were months and months where he was in the hospital and he was awake and he was smiling and he was interacting with us and sucking his thumb and sitting up. And um, his life had great quality um, and he knew us and we knew him and that I think it was those days where I was like, I'm getting this kid home. We're going to do this. We're going to beat the odds. But he got to this place where he was so sick and his organs were shutting down and he was in this induced coma to let his body rest and heal and the lights were dim and there was little stimulation in his room just to let him heal. And most of his life, um, he would, when the doctors would say, oh, we don't know how he's going to get through this, he would bounce back, which is how he got the nickname Mighty Oaks. He just, oh, he was so strong. He was so strong. Did he ever get to come home? He did. Um, he, he came home for 
I think it was 17 days. It was right before his lung transplant. Um, he was, he had been listed. He was doing really well. Um, he, and he, and we were discharged and he was on oxygen. So we came home with a little oxygen tank. And honestly, Joe, it was like the most stressful 17 days of his life. I mean, it felt great to have him in our house and to go to bed knowing my family is under one roof. There was, um, that was amazing and remarkable. And as a mom, you just expect, yes, we're bringing our baby home. So it was, it was a huge, like check that box in for me as a mom. Um, he got kind of sick during, or actually he was, he came home for a couple days. Anyway, yes, he was home for that time. And then for like the 17 days, he was listed for the heart. Um, I, you know, we got to do all these things that I think with my healthy kids, I would have taken advantage or taken for granted, you know, we got to give him a bath at home and put clothes on him. And we had a photographer come to the house and get family pictures. And, you know, we put him in the stroller and we took him for walks. And there was one day where I put him in a Bjorn and we went to the St. Louis Zoo. And I was like, had a Bjorn, but I was pushing a stroller that had his oxygen tank in it. And I was like, I'm freaking determined. I'm doing this. We're doing this. We're making the memories. We're taking the pictures. We're doing the fun things in hindsight. I'm like, I was crazy, but we did it. Um, so yes, he did come home. And then while he was home, we got a call saying, bring him in. We found lungs. We're gonna, we're gonna do this transplant. Um, so, but then after the transplant, he did not come home, but you know, the heartwarming part to that question is after a year and a half in that hospital, in so many ways, St. Louis Children's Hospital was his home. And the staff, um, they were so great. They were so good to him. I mean, I know he had excellent medical care, um, but they just became our family too. And some of the nurses that took care of him 10 years ago and carried him in and out of the operating room are some of my best friends today. And so, um, he was on the ninth floor or the seventh floor in room nine. And we had in a year and a half, we had filled it with family photos and there was a mobile over his crib and toys and books. And it was his nursery. And, um, I did get him home for that short time, but, um, there is a warm place in my heart for St. Louis Children's Hospital. It was a great, it was a great nursery for him. It was perfect. Those nurses are like, Ugh. I just, I remember uh, a dear friend of mine, she had twins and um, anyway, they were born too, too soon. They are healthy, wonderful boys now. But I remember going and visiting her and just seeing how great and comfortable, like I could just kept saying, like, I can't, how do you leave them? How do you leave Mm -hmm, them? And she was mm -hmm. like, we can leave them because I know that they're in such good care. And then I did a tour of the NICU um, for Mercy for, for a work project and 
we were doing this video tour and um, I remembered the room where I saw the twins and then I just remember like seeing all these rooms yeah. where these babies were in there and the parents weren't there and how much those parents wanted to be with their babies, mm-hmm. but they had to work. And like those nurses are angels. Like oh, I just, it's so true. I wasn't even in it. And like, I just, I, oh gosh, I just don't know how you guys do it. Well, you know, I think you're right. I mean, gosh, I could talk for hours about the, you know, nurses and social workers and, um, you know, of course the doctors, but it's the, it's the physical therapist and the dietitians, And um, it takes a special person to go into the medical field. It takes an extra special person to voluntarily say pediatrics is my field, especially when you're in a hospital setting and you're helping families and children who are, um, you know, unfairly born with complications or need medical support. It's, it, it takes um, a, just a really special person. And in, in so many ways, um, you know, we've heard it during COVID that these are frontline workers, but even before COVID, these are individuals who, you know, choose to support and advocate for innocent, you know, sick kids. And so, yeah, it's just a special, really special group of people. I agree. I mean, like your friend with the kids in the NICU. Um, it, it is such a hard balancing act. I mean, it just, I think any working parent can relate to the, this, just the constant balance and struggle of work and life. And, but I, I do think it becomes just almost unmanageable when you add in a critical illness or a chronic illness Um, especially with a child, but I think even when a parent gets sick or a grandparent needs assistance, I mean, you just, you add in health issues to a life and it just gets, it just adds a whole layer of complexity. And, you know, it's something that Greg and I, it's really what kickstarted Mighty Oaks Heart Foundation, Um, having that awareness because we, live about 10 minutes from children's hospital and Greg when Oaks was born Greg had this great this great job and career and we had um, a you know a beautiful house and cars in the driveway and money in our savings account and this tremendous network of friends and family and community around us and we felt very supported and um, and then you know when he was in the hospital and we knew we we're going to be here for a long term, we really learned how to um, lean into those hospital staff. And, and like you're saying, you know, the reason I could go home at night and sleep in my own bed is because I knew um, there was this tremendous staff there at the hospital who was going to love on him all night long and keep him comfortable and, and change his meds and, you know, change his diapers and everything, um, step in when I couldn't. And, um, and while we were there for those 15 months, we were meeting people from all over the U.S. who were coming to Children's for the cardiac program 
and um, you know, it was, it was families that were coming from, um, you know, three, four states away and major time zone differences, and they were leaving siblings back at home, or maybe it was just the mom coming to St. Louis, and dad was at home with two other kids, or um, all sorts of family dynamics, and 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 it always seemed like there was like everyone also had other stuff going on in their lives where, you know, maybe grandma was sick or it was something like they only had one family car and the car was in St. Louis with mom. And so dad was back at home with no car and kids and trying to like manage things. Or it was, they went from a two income household down to one, or even sometimes it was both parents lost their job because they wanted to be in the hospital. And so we were meeting these families who had, you know, a really sick child just like us, but all this other stuff. And, you know, we talked about how serendipitous it was that Olive and Oak came to fruition, but I feel like Mighty Oaks was the same. Mighty Oaks Heart Foundation was the same in that when Oaks, when we were told Oaks needed this lung transplant, we were, we sat down with, um, someone in the hospital that kind of dug into our insurance and they were like, listen, you've got great insurance. Um, a heart transplant is going to cost millions of dollars and you're going to pay a teeny tiny fraction of that because you've got this tremendous insurance, which is a whole other, you know, conversation and an an enormous blessing. But she said, I, I really advise you to do, get your friends together and do a little fundraiser. And the goal should be to raise like $30,000 and put it in a little emergency account in case you lose your job, your insurance drops you, your insurance denies you, you know, something catastrophic happens. Like who knows what you need this emergency fund. And so we met with some friends and, and in the beginning, Greg was like, nope, 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 we're good. We're good. We're, we do, we're not asking for help. And finally um, we met with some friends and they said, you know, in one second, yes, we'll do this. Please let us do this. And so they planned this two-day golf tournament slash um, auction. It was like a dinner auction. And um, in one, in about three months, they pulled together this event. And at the end of the weekend, they presented us with a $100,000 check. And so, oh, that was when Oaks was three months old. So we have this huge bank account that we were kind of in disbelief, um, felt so appreciative, felt so blessed. But then we're meeting these families from all over the country who were like struggling. So there was this one day where there was a, there was a little girl in the room next to us and her mom was really, really young, like maybe not even 20. And she was often in the hospital by herself And we would kind of chit chat coming and going out of the rooms. And I was always in awe that this young mom was like in this predicament. And I would think, I don't know how she's doing this. Um, And her daughter went into surgery and um, we were both getting like bottled water out of a fridge for parents. And I said, how is she doing? How's surgery going? And, um, she said, oh, she's well, and surgery's going fine, and I'm, 
I'm not worried about her. I just don't know how I'm going to drive back to Springfield at the end of the week. I have like zero dollars to my name. I don't know how I'm going to put gas in my car. And I just sort of am nodding my head thinking, oh, okay. Um, I, that's not something I have worried about. It was just eye opening to me that like, okay, this is another blessing I have. Like I, I, I'm, this is, I'm so fortunate. I'm not worrying about gas money. And I had gone to the ATM in the hospital later that day and withdrew some cash and I folded it up in a paper towel, paper towel. And I gave it to my nurse and I said, take this next door and give it to that mom. Tell her it's gas money. Don't tell her it came from me, but I just, she needs this. And, and I knew, and it was coming out of our fundraising account that I knew I didn't need. And, um, of course it felt really good to help this mom. Um, and it was an opportunity for me to kind of like step out of my own grief and my own fear and like do something good and give back. And it brought me so much joy and it sort of like filled a gap in my life of like, this is a really happy moment. And I kept doing it. I kept handing out and giving out of this fund that we had. And finally, one of the social workers came to me and said, Becky, you have got to stop (laughs) handing out cash. It's like, this is bonkers. You, this is a no, you're no, don't do this. And so we kind of sat down and brainstormed and we created, we eventually, you know, we created this 501c3 applied for tax exemption, create, wrote a mission for, you know, Mighty Oaks Heart Foundation, and we're going to support families financially, and we're going to give back. And, and that was really just the organic beginning of Mighty Oaks Heart Foundation, um, which, you know, with all eight and a half years, 10 years of hindsight, um, I never would have moved into the world of the nonprofit, you know, um, my career, I don't think, would have ever taken me here without Oaks. Um, we wouldn't have been able to um, impact the lives of thousands and thousands of families throughout the Midwest and the U.S. Um, as we've grown and kind of spread our reach. Um, I have just met the most incredible people through the foundation. I've also had this opportunity for 10 years to like step out of my own grief, my own sorrow, help other people change their lives, do really good things. So I, I, you know, maybe it is my stubborn laser focus on trying to find the joy and, and, and be determined to do the good and have the happy story. But when I look at the big story of Oaks, yes, he's not here. And that as a mom, that wasn't my dream. That wasn't my plan, but, oh, that kid, he changed my life. And because of him, Mighty Oaks Heart Foundation has changed the lives of tens of thousands of families in the U.S. And I couldn't be more proud. I mean, it's because of that, I think, you know, it's not, it's not a sad story. It's not a story of loss. It's maybe that's a chapter. That's a part of it. But it really is this miraculous redemption story of hope and love and all the good things. 
what's next for the foundation? Um, what's next? So over the last maybe four or five years, for many, for probably the first five years of the organization, we were very much a family foundation, very much friends and family. Um, probably about five years ago, we decided um, we were going to really up our game. We expanded our board. We um, partnered with hospitals outside of St. Louis. Um, and the goal was always to touch more families. Um, our mission um, with Mighty Oaks Heart Foundation is to give families hope amidst the chaos um, and to give them freedom to be a family. And um, by that, or the way that we do that is um, really identifying families so similar to ours that have a child with a congenital heart defect um, or, or children. Um, we want to find families who um, have longer hospitalizations and because of that need financial and emotional assistance. Um, and so very often we are helping families um, by paying their mortgage, by paying rent, utilities, travel expenses. We really um, try to connect with families and figure out what are you, beyond your sick child, beyond your hospitalized baby, what are you really stressed out about? And then we try to help alleviate that stress. And a lot of times it is. It's like we don't know how we're going to pay all our bills. Um, and so we will come in and pay several months of mortgage of rent utilities. And so really what's next is continued growth as far as um, we have five hospitals that we have partnered with and we work with really consistently. We're looking to add more hospitals into our partnership program. Um, and we're always looking for corporate sponsorships for our fundraisers. We're always looking for volunteers to help join our team and spread the word about Mighty Oaks Heart Foundation um, and offer support to families. Um, we're always, you know, there's always a fundraiser around the corner. Um, so what's next is, is, is continued growth and, and wanting to, um, give more families more hope and keep families together when they are hospitalized with their kids. It's just, you know, it is at my core of all the lessons we learned with Oaks. And it's, it's something that I just, I feel so passionate about. So more really good things in the future. I think also something that comes to mind is when you have something like this, like you said, one in a hundred, one in a million, and you do have some doctors that obviously great bedside manners, some not, it, it, it you know, you present the facts, Yep. but when you have someone that you can connect with on a mom level, on a yeah. dad level, on a sibling level, that's a game changer. And that's why organizations like yours really are needed. 
where should we send people to get some more information or to look into things, whether it be they have a child and they need some help right now to that corporate sponsorship and volunteers? Yeah. The number one resource would be um, our website, which is mightyoaks.org. And Oaks is O-A-K-E-S. Um, there's a sneaky little E in there. Myyields.org <laughs> has everything. That has, um, you know, our mission, our vision, ways to sign up and volunteer, information for companies who want to get involved. Um, it has information about our events. It also is a place where we send families who want to apply. So if someone's listening and um, they want to apply for a grant or, um, you know, they want to, pass the application on to a friend or a family member. Um, It's all on our website. And then from our website, you know, we do have a presence on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook, and people can find us that way too, um, all under Mighty Oaks Heart Foundation. And I will have all this information online in the show notes at jilldevine.com. And the there's so many ways I want to wrap up this interview. It's hard to choose, but something that has been heavy on my heart and inside our home, and and you mentioned this, I wrote this down. I don't remember the exact way you mentioned it, but um, it is easy to take things for granted when you have healthy children. Yeah. And something that's been happening um the fair game. Like that's not fair, mm, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so one of my friends, we had talked about, I don't even know how it got brought up, but I'm, I'm looking at the email that I, I she told me how she presents fair mm-hmm. and what's not fair. And so I said to her the other day, I said, um, in all seriousness, I need you to either text me the lingo or email it to me. I'm being completely serious. And she said, I got you. And so she emailed me about how she explains fair and unfair Mm -hmm. and basic needs versus wants. And that is something now that I have been trying to introduce in our home. But when I think about families like yours, yeah, you know, it's not fair. Not fair is your son not being with you. But what you said to me too, that's very beautiful is that he is so mighty and he has helped more people than will yeah. ever understand. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I agree. And I think it's so, yeah, that, that conversation about fair and unfair. I mean, you can, you can talk to kids about that and you could also sit around with adults and really, you know, dig into that topic. And, you know, I, I think, just the peace that I have. And, you know, I think for anyone who loses anyone close to you, whether it's a child or not, I think when you, I've talked so much about, you know, you dream about having a family and you, you don't, I didn't 
kind of, there is no asterisk. Like I'm dreaming of all these wonderful things and asterisk, like some crazy stuff might go wrong. You know, you don't, as you're dreaming and you're planning, you don't think about um, major health issues or scary diagnoses or you just don't dream about these things that go wrong. But as an adult, like intellectually, we know things, things don't, they're not fair. They don't go as we plan. Like whether it's, you know, planning a picnic with your kids at the zoo or, you know, it could be these long-term health issues, but I don't know. I, I have to remind myself, um, and this came from years of therapy. It's like, I, you can be in the moment and you can be up close, you know, with your kids or in life. But I think what brings me peace is when I like scan way back and like look at the big picture and, you know, yeah, it's not fair that Oaks isn't here. I'm just a strong believer in, um, in, in finding the good and choosing the good. And, and, and I do, I just think there's a sad part to this chapter in my life and Oaks, but yeah, I think his, his life kickstarted, um, this tremendous organization and, and, you know, the good that we've done, the good we've put into the world, the other moms and families I've connected with, it's take, it just, his life like catapult, catapulted my life in a whole new direction. And, and right after he passed, I, my background is in design and I'm very visual and my mind kind of creatively bounces all over the place. And I really, I, I hate the idea that he, um, suffered or he was this innocent kid that was like a victim like that just doesn't settle with me I just it's like I won't have it I can't I can't accept that story and I I kind of created this own story in my head that he and I have lived other lives together and 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 I just hope that um or I like to imagine that before I was even born, like our spirits, our energy was somewhere else. And we agreed to this life. Like he and I agreed and Greg was a part of the agreement and Isla and Esme, we all agreed. This is the life we're going to live. And, and I just think Oaks and I would have had this like handshake, this like powerful, soulful, handshake and like sparks came out of that handshake and our hands were like glowing and there were heart confetti flying around us and it was a deal. This is what we were going to do. I don't know. Maybe that sounds bonkers. Um, or a grieving mom grasping at some explanation that (laughs) allows me to sleep at night, but it makes sense to me when I scan back and say, I didn't plan for this. It is not fair. Um, But what if we did agree to this? What if we said, we'll do this together? We're partners. We're going to, we are going to go down to that earth and go through this thing. And it's not going to be easy, but we're going to, we're going to help tens of thousands of people. And we're going to pull together volunteers and friends and family. And 
there's going to be Oaks is just the beginning. He's the ripple. He's the little baby acorn. And Mighty Oaks Heart Foundation is going to be this gigantic oak tree that is going to shelter others and protect others. And um, I don't know. I don't know. My, I have to cling to that, um, that powerful visual and that hope that, yeah, it's not fair, but it's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. On our next episode, episode 87, my guest will be Blake Schofield. She's the founder of Connections Illuminated and the host to the podcast, The Bridge to Fulfillment. She's a mom to three kids, former corporate executive, and basically she was sacrificing all kinds of things for that comfortable paycheck that she talks openly and honestly about in episode 87. So she is going to provide tips on how women can feel fulfilled in their career and their life and doing so on your own terms. So tune in to episode 87 with Blake Schofield next week. Before we wrap things up, I want to highlight one of the sponsors of the podcast, Blonded Real Estate, and what they can offer you locally. So if you're looking to buy or sell in the areas of New Melly, Warrington, Defiance, Marthasville, Washington, you need Blonded Real Estate. And the reason why those areas are super unique, there's a lot of hidden gems within those areas that if you're not from the area, you won't know about it. And most of the individuals within Blondin Real Estate are either from those areas or at least lived in those areas at some point. So you definitely know you're in great hands with Blondin Real Estate. And lastly, I'd like to remind you about new episodes of the podcast. They launch every Wednesday on the podcast platform of your choosing. So wherever you like to listen to this podcast, you can get it there every Wednesday. And speaking of that podcast platform of your choosing, when you're there and you hit play on this episode or the next episode or the next episode or the previous episode, would you mind taking just a couple minutes and subscribing, rating, and even possibly reviewing the podcast. When you do that, the opportunity for this podcast to get into the hands of others is increased greatly. So I appreciate that so much. If you could take some time to do that. Also follow along on the socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You will find me there and also at jilldevine.com.